a look. All right, who's glad that song is true? Praise the Lord for that. Thankful for salvation. Thankful that even as a seven-year-old, I understood that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And I hope that if, if that's, uh, that's not you this morning, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I hope today will be the day. And uh, we're glad for that. Thank you for that uh, great song. Uh, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10 this morning and, and really finish off our series on our values. And the last couple of weeks we've been, we've been covering these in the evening. So if you, you're, you haven't uh, caught the other, other sermons on this series, you can look it up on our, um, on our website, then also through uh, to our YouTube channel and so forth, and, um, and then catch up on that. But the last one I'm going to cover is just the, the value of gathering. And maybe this morning you're going to think it's, it's pretty obvious, and uh, of course we're practicing that this morning. But sometimes I think we, there's, there's things about the Christian life that we sort of take for granted. We sort of just do it out of, in a sense, just out of habit. Maybe even, in a sense, just out of just an idea that we're supposed to do it. And I'm not, I'm not discounting that this morning. We ought to do it. We ought to, ought to gather. And it's important. And I think one of the things that we probably... Uh, suffered from as far as when we went through the whole COVID thing that you know all of us are trying to forget about now is just we were prohibited from physically gathering as a church and you know the fear was in many of our churches and, and even while I was pastoring in Sydney was will people come back after all that I mean the convenience of the live stream and so forth but we all understood inherently that there's just something about gathering physically together right? And that's why we're here. That's why, that's why we, we, we still value that. And, and yet sometimes if you sort of draw your mind back to maybe prior to a time where you were part of a church or part of that, having that habit of gathering, sometimes you might have maybe observed Christians and, and wondered why. And it just seemed to be a, a bit of a hive of activity that's been, that happens at different localities. And you might have wondered and, and thought, well, why? What do they do? Why do they do it? And why Sunday, of all days? I mean, I've heard fishing's better on Sundays, usually. And so we wonder all of these, and sometimes we see a bit of a, a activity happening, and, and we, we wonder what's happening. We wonder all of that. And, you know, even in nature, sometimes we see things, there's a, a bit of a commotion, and we wonder why there's a commotion. And, and yet, when, when we start to study it out, even in nature, there's reasons why things alike gather. You know, a, a, you think about bees that just sort of just seem to gather together, and at times they go out, then come back in. And I was reading up on that, and, and again, I'm not an expert on these, you could, you could chat with with Brother Dave about it, probably he'll, he'll let you know a little bit more about bees. But what it is, is, is usually at, they're not just gathering for no reason, they're gathering to be productive. And part of it is their unity. The, the queen bee would uh, send out a certain scent that would just realign the, the hive, realign the, the rest of the worker bees, that, that they would just come together and 
in many ways, I would imagine, be instructed a little bit. And we see that uh, really, sometimes we forget that. And, you know, one of the things that we're going to examine in Scripture is, is the reasons for a gathering. And I want to be grounded in that because sometimes I think the reason why we're not as consistent or we don't, we don't prepare as well as we should in our gathering is because maybe we've just forgotten about the whole reason for it. And so I'm going to be very basic this morning. But, you know, I was studying a little bit about us as Aussies. We, uh, we have declined, if you look around, if you notice, we have declined in a very pronounced way in our faithfulness to just gather. Uh, it used to be that, that a, a high percentage of our country would gather on a Sunday. You probably, some of you could still recall when everything was closed on a Sunday because who was there to work? And yet we live in a society that's increasingly more secular. And once in a, uh, once in a, a long while, it used to be that 36% of the, of the population attended church regularly. And that was in the 70s. That was a sharp decline from the 40s and 50s where it was over 80%. So even in those, those yesteryears, there was already a decline. But you know what it is today? It's 15% of the population. 15% regularly attend church. Regularly gather with their church family. 15%. And that's defined as... Someone who's regular, the, those who are going through statistics and doing these studies, you know what they define as a regular attendee? Once a month. If we were to break it down further and we looked at the population that would come every week, you know what the percentage goes down to? 7% of the population go to some sort of church or mosque or some other place of faith weekly. So that's not even just Christendom in general. So we're, we're understanding that there's a, there's a, in a sense in society, there's a, a lacking of importance and urgency about the gathering. And, and there's, there's a myriad of reasons. The survey goes on and there's a, there's a group there in, in where we used to live in the Hills area in Sydney, a Christian fellow who's got a, a research, um, research company called McCrindle Research and he surveyed Aussies, uh, those who were non-goers and those who were goers to church. And the top six reasons they gave for why Aussies don't go to church. Firstly, 47, 47% of, of Australians think that church and faith is irrelevant to their lives. So just irrelevant. It's just irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Um, 26% don't accept how it's taught. So don't, don't accept that the, the Bible mandate for gathering. 24% blame the outdated style of their church, the, the way uh, worship is presented and so forth. 22% blame the clergy and they don't like their clergy, all right? They don't like the pastor and they have an issue, 22%. And uh, I was surprised it was the, at 22% actually. But, um, but then you see that there's, there's 19% out of, those, out of all Aussies just don't believe the Bible at all. They just plainly just don't believe it. And then the last one, 18%, is 
we're just too busy. So actually, when you think about it, you know, I was, when I was preparing this message, I was going to immediately go, well, no, we're a time-poor society. And, and that's often the, the reason that we automatically give. You know, we're just time-poor. We've got to fit everything else in. And yet what we find is actually there are those who reason out that it's just because they don't see the value in it. They don't see the value of gathering. They, they find their spirituality in other means. And, and yet what, what we learn in Scripture is that there's actually an admonition for us to gather. There's actually what we find here in the Scriptures that we read, uh, just a, a, probably a familiar verse in verse 25 particularly, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And by nature, when we think about the definition of the church, what the church is, is the ecclesia, which is the called out assembly. And you know, often when we define the word church, we focus on the word, those, that term at the beginning of that definition called out. It means to be separated out from the world. It means to be different, right? But you can't be the church without the assembly. You're not just called out. You're a called out assembly. And what assemblies do, what do they do? They assemble, right? And so if, they don't, if an assembly doesn't assemble, is it assembly at all? <laughs> it's not. And what I'm saying is there's, a, there's actually a Bible imperative for us. And, and in some ways, I sort of feel like I'm preaching to the choir a little bit this morning. But I understand that we sometimes just need reinforcing. Sometimes it's just a reinforcement of the facts. Sometimes it's just a reinforcement, again, of the importance of things before we just go ahead. And like we were challenged about a little bit on Wednesday night, sometimes we have to take the more earnest heed to things, lest we let them slip. And I think over time, sometimes when we think about the basics of the Christian life and the basics of this very thing of gathering Sometimes if we don't reinforce the value of it, we can find ourselves in the same boat, in the same understanding sometimes that the majority of Australians do, and we might even end up making it irrelevant in our lives. And so we live in that society. We're, we're living in a time where the gathering hasn't had that importance like we've seen in yesteryear. But can I remind you this morning that society doesn't dictate the way we live, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God dictates the way we live. And so as Christians, even as we find society the way it is, we need to then re-examine and perhaps just re, uh, recommit to the, the foundational things of the Word of God. And, and we're going to find that in, in this just short time that we have this morning and I think just really importantly that we just reinforce that as a church, that that is our value, that we're a gathering church. And so notice there again, as we look through the scriptures here, and, and we'll turn to a couple of other places, so ha please have your Bible ready. But I want to ask you some foundational questions. Who gathers is the first one. Who gathers? You know, and um, the assembling of ourselves together is what, the Bible says there in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. It's the assembling of ourselves together. And I think it's important to note who these are, who is supposed to gather before we get into further details. And I'm not going to just hold out. It's not no mystery. It's quite simple. It's Christians who gather. 
right? Christians. When God views the church, He doesn't just view it like we do. He doesn't view it as a building. He doesn't view it as simply a place. No, He views it as people. But specifically, what kind of people? It's the people who are Christians, people who have been saved, people who have trusted Christ as their Savior. Christians make up the church. And when God sees and when God talks about the church, He sees those of us who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christians are just people who are like all other sinners. The only difference is that they've recognized their sin and they, they recognize their need of a Savior and they've called on the, uh, upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save them from their sin. All right, Christians aren't more special Christians aren't more spiritual. Christians have just simply recognized that they need a Savior. And they've turned to the one who can save them. That's Jesus. They're not, Christians are those who, upon realizing that they can't save themselves from the penalty of sin, trusted upon Jesus, the Son of God, to be their Savior. And Jesus can be the Savior because why? He lived a perfect life, Right? He willingly laid down His life to become a substitute, to take on the punishment of our sin, and hence was accepted by God the Father as a pleasing sacrifice to atone for the sins of the whole world. That's the Savior this morning. And Jesus, being God, sacrificed Himself so that we no longer have to pay the penalty of our own sins. And upon our confession that He is the Son of God who died, who was buried, and He rose again, Trusting in His sacrifice and His sacrifice alone were saved by grace through faith. And Christians, we're just the blood-bought, blood-washed people of God that God through His own merits redeemed for His own purpose. And can I remind you, it's not just the fact that we're saved from something. We're saved unto something. We're saved for a purpose. And we're given that. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And, and, and you know, when the Bible references that phrase, in Christ, he's only ever speaking about those who are saved, those who've been born again, those who've just put their faith in Christ. And the Bible's very careful to tell us that we're no longer like the old self. That's gone. We're all made new. And as Christians then, we've been given a new purpose. And we've been placed in a collective body of Christ. We no longer are the children of darkness, we're children of light. We've been placed in a new family. And we've been united in that way in Romans 12.5. The Bible says, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. Hence, our unity with one another isn't found in any earthly reason, but in the person of Christ. You know, we gather here today, and if we were to take a little bit of time, I was just ch chatting with our youth group on Friday night, and one of these days I'm scheduled to preach a particular topic. And one of the activities I love to do, and we're going to do this when it's our time, so don't skip it, young people, that evening, but we're going to do a thing that I call speed friending. Okay, some of you parents, you are like, <gasps> speed dating? No, and we put up, and so what we do is we get everyone to sit together in, in pairs, 
and we put up a topic on the screen and they discuss that topic for about 30 seconds. Then a bell rings and then they move along. And what the, the point is, they're trying to get to know each other. If we were to do that today, you know what we're going to find? We're going to find that we're all different and we all come from different backgrounds and we all come from different upbringings and we all have different opinions and we all have different favorites and we're all unique and different and the only thing that we're going to actually truly have in common is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the church. And that's why we gather. It's not for our own purpose. You know, if we're here today and our purpose is for our own selfish reasons, then we're not gathering like we should because who gathers? It's Christians who under the banner of Christ unite. And our unity is found in Him. The church is the assembly of Christians gathered to express that unity in Jesus and to worship Jesus. He says in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 18, But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased Him. This, further down in verse 27, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So, in our, so us gathering in our locality. You know, there's going to be several other places in Australia, some even just down the road from us who will gather like we'll gather. And we all gather in our locality because it's impossible for us to all meet in the one place. That'll be one day, though, we'll be all gathered in heaven one day. But for now, we, live, we, we gather in our locality as Christians. Why? Because it's an expression of that unity in Christ Jesus as, as the people that He's bought with His blood. And so coming together in various assemblies is essential, really, because we're Christians. It's giving expression to the fact that Jesus died to, to bring a, a people united, not just isolated Christian individuals. And so you might be a guest this morning, you're thinking, well, how about me? I want to say we welcome you today. We're glad for you. Thank you for coming. But you know, we gather because we gather for Christ. And when, when we come along and God sees the church only ever as those who put their faith in Christ, we want to welcome you. We want to say that, that, that God wants you in the assembly. That actually God wants to save you if you're not saved. And, and I want to encourage you, if you don't belong to a local church, that you ought to find one where you can grow, where you can be those things that we've already covered as far as our values. Uh, we, you, you'd be a glorifying, a giving, a going. You're going to be that individual where you can grow. And I want to say that we were all guests at some point. There was one time where we didn't belong to Christ, where maybe a faithful Christian, maybe a, someone who uh, was a relative, a friend, a workmate, maybe you received an invitation in the letterbox, maybe someone just sort of invited you along, and now here you are all these years later, all these months later, all these weeks, days later, and now you're part of it. But we were all guests at some point. But upon salvation, we became Christians. And you know who gathers? Christians gather. And so, who gathers? The next question is, when do we gather? Because he's saying here, they're not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as a matter of some is. So even then, 
in the, in the writing of this book, there were those who knew who should gather. They knew when to gather, and they still some who didn't. And when do we gather? The, the when is also a good question to ask. The when can sometimes dictate the reason we forsake it. You know, when something is static and is set in stone as a standard, uh, it's us that needs to adjust. Hey. And uh, I think about that story I heard once of a warship. And it was traveling down and the, the navigator saw a, a light, a faint light in the distance. And so he radios ahead and he says, uh, this is, you know, this ship, uh, please correct your course by 15 degrees east. The other radioed back and said, this is so-and-so, we cannot. And so he was irate, this, this man. He said, I'm, I'm this rank sergeant. And he, he, he gives him a rank major. And he goes, um, you need to correct your... And the reply went, well, I'm... And it was a lower rank. I can't. And so this, by this time, this man was irate. This was a warship. They had conquered all. And he goes, no, no, you need to move. This is warship. And the radio came back. He says, no, no, we can't. This is lighthouse. <laughs> There's just something set in concrete. There's just some things that it's just, it's impossible to move. Because God's put it there. And, and, and what it is, he, he just declared that actually this is the time that we gather specifically. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 18, for first of all, when you come together in the church. So there's a certain place that we're supposed to gather. In chapter 14 verse 23, it was meant for the whole church be come together into one place. So the, the point is we do gather. There's meant to be a, a place and a time that we're together, and simply this, you already know the answer, it's meant to be Sunday, right? I know this is not surprising, but I'm just trying to reinforce the truth, Sunday, okay, very early on in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together, it was the first day, and in the Jewish calendar, this is a Sunday, and if you think about it, it it's always been that, that God had set aside a time for God's people together. In the Old Testament, it was the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath for us is a Saturday. It's a Saturday. It was the last day of the week. Okay, so for, for the Jews and for those who were in the Old Testament, the day of gathering was the day of rest. It was the Jews that met, met on the Sabbath. But you know what the Bible is careful to tell us? Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a type of Christ, rest. You know, when, when we're saved, we're no longer just work, we're not no longer working. He's done it. We're at rest. And so Jesus is a is fulfills the Sabbath. He is our Sabbath. And so we don't observe the Sabbath, we observe the Lord's Day. You know why it's called the Lord's Day? Because it was the day that he rose again. You know what's what day that is? It's Sunday. And so that's why we meet on Sunday. Even John later on in his exile in Patmos, he was referring to that in Revelation 1.10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and it became known as the Lord's Day. And so if you refer to Sunday as the Lord's Day, 
you would be biblically correct. It is the Lord's Day. It's a day we set aside. There's other principles involved in that, and we're meant to come together. There's that principle of the first fruits, giving our first of the week to the Lord, the first fruits of the week. And that's why we gather together on a Sunday in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, upon the, very, the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. And they were to come together, and, and that referring to, we'll turn to that in a little bit, I think, but that referring to that gathering of, of funds that was needed, they were to come together in that one place in one particular time in the week. And then you're wondering, I get it past the Sunday, we get to, but how about the other times? Uh, don't, didn't you say we have a Wednesday prayer and didn't we just have life groups or we're going to have Sunday night? And uh, Aren't you going to announce probably we've got a missions conference on our calendar? I mean, it's on the last weekend of, uh, of, of March. It'll be a Friday night, Saturday night, and all day Sunday. What are you saying then, Pastor? Are we supposed to do that? No, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 10.25, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And I think, I think as we start to see some of the end times economy coming together, there's an exhortation there because there's a natural thing there of falling away. There's an exhortation for us to actually assemble in a more pronounced way. And so the frequency and faithfulness ought to increase the more we focus on His return. And, and also we see in pattern in Scripture, again in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. You know, the, the first century church, they actually just met as much as they could. But in particular, they met on the Lord's day. And it was evident that the church came together at other times, and the Lord, I think, in this situation gives liberty. You know, the Lord gives liberty. And so I want to exhort you, you know, as much as possible. If you're able to come on the times that we do gather, come along. Just schedule it out. And I'm saying the point of that is our, our gathering primarily is on the Sunday, but our gathering can happen at all times when called upon. You know why? Because the church isn't the building. The church is the people. You might in your locality have a few of the you families just, you know, run into each other from time to time, you know, when we come together under the name of Christ and we're trying to do those things and try to exhort one another, uh, try to have that iron sharpening iron throughout the course of the week. And by the way, I highly recommend it, getting, getting around the, the church family throughout the course of the week. It'll encourage you. We just bear each other's burdens. We just talk a little bit over a cup of coffee and we just start to chat maybe some things that God's doing in our lives. That's a good thing. But that's us gathering where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them, Jesus said. And so we might go about, but you know what? That doesn't replace the gathering we're supposed to have when we come together on the Lord's day. And so when do we gather? It's Sunday. It might be at other times, but never, never as a supplement to, uh, never as a replacement, maybe as a supplement to, but we gather together. What does our gathering look like, you wonder? Well, we read a little bit there in verses 23 and 24. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. So it's got something to do with the faith. It says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Notice that we're supposed to action some things that provoke us to be different. And our gathering it's got to have components that will achieve its intended purpose. It's meant to reinforce our faith. 
It's meant to provoke us unto love and to good works. And we aren't just here to socialize and see each other. You know, it's a good thing. I, I love that we've instituted that morning tea. All right, some of you that revolutionized your Sunday morning. You came into church not hungry. And you know, when you're hungry, you're just not as nice. All right, so that's a good thing. But it's not just that. It's not just socialize. You know, it's a great thing. I, I love the fact that now as I come into the building, people are talking. There's that, I call it chatter in the church. That's a good thing. It's that, those things are, are, are great things, but they're, those are actually products of something else. Those aren't the primary reasons why we gather. It's good to catch up with friends. It ought to be that, that uh, part of the, throughout the course of the week, you're just looking forward to just seeing your friends at church and being around the church family, but that's not the reason. That's, that's not what our gathering just looks like. It's, it's really a time that's been purposed to worship God. It's meant to be a time where we strengthen our faith and to, we're supposed to encourage each other to live greater for Christ. But what does it look like? There's some components. And, and just really quickly, you'll, you'll note, note this, but again, sometimes we sit here and we just do it and we don't know why. Here's, here's the first component, singing. All right, singing. You know what, what killed me the most during the time of the pandemic, uh, the COVID time, was that there were times, especially in New South Wales, this is why we moved to Queensland, really, because we, man, New South Wales, we couldn't even sing. Like singing was a super spreader, whatever that means, right? And so we weren't allowed to sing. We were sitting there, and, and truth be told, I just kept singing anyway. All right, so label me a rebel, but whatever. I was going to sing because singing is part of our gathering. Right, it's just pattern. Like, you know, we, we, have, we, have, we just had a, a singing service, a song service. You know, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 5.19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know what singing supposed to be? We're supposed to do it together. All right, take part. You know, it's not just for those who can sing. Hey, listen, the Bible says make a joyful noise, all right? No one's going to judge. It's part of it. Learn the songs. Learn to enjoy them. We're to do it together. That's why we choose the mode of our singing uh, is, is the, the hymns, the hymn styles. Why? Because hymns were specifically designed to be sung together. That's why we, we choose that because in, in, in our understanding of what the Bible teaches about our singing, we're supposed to do it together. It's meant to be done as we gather. In Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. How? Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You know what? There's meant to be that grounding of our worship to God but also our songs are meant to edify and exhort. That, that's why we don't tend to focus on short little choruses that teach us nothing. That's why we try to, as best as we can, have the doctrinal grounding in our songs and we try to teach in those songs the, just the faith. It's meant to edify and teach. That's why we don't, we don't choose to just uh, sing songs that are ambiguous in their meaning, 
where we have to really think, is this really talking about God or is this talking about my sweetheart? <laughs> Listen, there's meant to be teaching. There's meant to be doctrinal grounding. You know, the, the, the singing that those that come up and that's their ministry to the church. You know, that's grounded in, it's grounded in an Old Testament pattern of those that stand in proxy for you and I who aren't singing. They stand in proxy, worshiping, offering up worship to God for you and I. Listen, we ought to enjoy our, our vocal groups, our choir, but listen, when they're singing, you know what we're supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be praying for them because they're making their proxies for us right now. They're offering up worship to our holy God on your behalf. When those instruments are playing right through, you know what they're doing? They're in proxy to you and I. That's the pattern. And so it's important we just don't switch off during those times. They might not be, the, they might not be on trend, but they're grounding us in the truth of Scripture, and that's why we're here. And so we look at that and singing is a part of it. You know what else is part of it? Praying. You know, so I've, heard, I've had some guests in the past who go, why do you guys pray so much? You prayed at the beginning, then someone prays for the offering, and sometimes the pastor prays before the message, and then, then after the, the, you know, why do you guys pray so much? Sometimes you even call people up to pray, and I go, well, we pray because... That's what the Bible tells us. It's meant to be a part of what we do. In Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. You know, 1 Corinthians 14, that great, great discussion on the, the relevance of tongues there in that part of the forming of the church. The, the whole point there was that, the, that he was making was about prayer. Prayer was a part of it, and prayer was meant to be understood. Prayer was meant to be something done and assumed. That's why they said, you know, there's no point. Those things that are done are meant to edify. And we'll talk a little bit about that tonight when we talk about charity. But prayer was assumed in the church. You think about the book of Acts, how there were prayer meetings. There were prayers meeting for Peter as he was in prison. There were the apostles and church leaders Praying together, and I'm saying prayer is a part of our gathering. You know what else is part? Giving. In 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. And so there was a pattern there in different churches. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. He's saying that it's the appropriate time. You know, I know we live in a day where we have technology and, and even, you know, Brother Danny mentioned there about if you forgot your wallet, you should have your card anyway. But we understand that sometimes we have other means now to direct into the giving of the church. And we ought to be a giving church in that way. But, you know, the, the heart is then that we give something. And, you know, what, uh, what we try to teach our children is you give of your own and, and what we do, we give them pocket money, right? And oftentimes they have those coins and they have those notes and it'll be just a good time to do that. And if that's still your practice, God bless you for that. But giving is our part and giving of ourselves like we discussed. 
giving of our talents, giving of our time, and, and giving is a part of it. You know what else is part of it? We're doing it right now, preaching, all right? You knew I was going to get there. Preaching. Okay, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. You know what the point of difference is often uh, between just normal gatherings versus the gathering of the church? It's the preeminence of the word of God. It's the Word of God being preached. It's the Word of God being expounded on. It's the Word of God being communicated. And, and there's, there's just the place of primacy for preaching. And I want to tell you, as long as I'm your pastor, that will be the case. And we will open God's Word. And we'll pronounce from it the very teachings of the Word of God. He says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. You know, the, the trend today is that it just seems to be in, in that, that there's, there's just less and less of the sermon. It just seems to be there's a moving away, you know. There's a long, long worship, quote-unquote, service oftentimes where there's just a myriad and multitude of songs, but then you have a tiny sermonette. And the, the preacher no longer preaches the Bible. They, the, the preacher preaches on self-help and motivation and all of that. And, and we no, no longer dare to speak on certain topics. Listen, the Bible says preach the Word. And we ought, to be, we ought to be preparing our hearts. We ought to come with a mindset. This is a part of our gathering. This is part of why we come. And it ought to be that we pray. We ought to be that we come with a prepared heart to listen and to hear and then be instructed and then be, to be humbled and be challenged. And, and we're supposed to come with an understanding that we want the Word of God preached with power and with clarity. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 2.4, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. You know, sometimes we just come in and, and some of you, you've, you've been saved a long time. Maybe you've heard, you know, over, over a thousand, more than a thousand messages. And sometimes you'll hear something repeated. It's just another thing. Like this, this morning, you're like, I already know, Pastor, we're supposed to gather. Listen, something, some things we're not meant to be ignorant of, so I'm meant to repeat it. Remind you. And, and don't get tired of preaching. Don't get tired of the fact that we get to open the Word of God. Don't be, get tired of the fact that there'll be, there'll be those that God will bring along and there'll be those that will be able to open and expound to you and feed you the Word of God. But you know, the other reason we gather is for the ordinances. All right, the, today uh, we were hoping to have a baptism and we've had baptisms in the last many months. In Acts 2.41, they that gladly received His Word were baptized. Okay, baptism is part of it. Just a couple of weeks ago, we observed the Lord's Supper. And so the, these are the times. And so what does it look like? All right, basically those things that we just described, basically the things that we do each and every week. And then lastly, as we close off, why is gathering so important? Why? And we've touched on these a little bit, but go, go to Acts chapter 2, and, and that'll be the only place we turn to. Acts chapter 2. And verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word 
were baptized in the same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were gathered, uh, were together and had all things in common and sold their possession and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And you know the, the reasons, someone put it this way, another preacher said, the reasons Christians gather on Sundays because we have been rescued from our sins and united with a risen living Christ and with each other through faith in Jesus. And because of that union with Jesus and with each other, the Bible, God's word, calls us to regular weekly expressions of our corporate joy and thankfulness before God in worship. Not just isolated Christians, Christian individuals scattered around, but corporate gatherings praying and singing and hearing God's word and celebrating the ordinances of Jesus. But, but breaking it down here, as we think about these verses, firstly, it demonstrates our unity in Christ. Why is our gathering so important? It demonstrates our unity in Christ. You know, the Bible says over and over again in one accord, together, continuing daily with one accord, our gatherings help us understand that we belong to the Lord and we're unified in our work for Him. You know, it's, it's easy to go out there and, and sort of get busy in life to forget that actually you belong to a greater body, a greater family, and, and demonstrates our unity in Christ. Secondly, it details the priority of Christ. We read it earlier, but upon the first day of the week, that, 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 uh, that, um, that principle of first fruits, of, of giving first, and, and our gathering helps us put Him first. Okay, the first day of the week for the firstborn among the brethren as we offer the first fruits of our week for him. But then thirdly, it defines our work for Christ. You know, they received his word. You know what the Bible says? They were added unto them. You know what that is? It was just the Great Commission. It was playing out. Our gathering strengthens us for the work. And we're instructed for the work. You know what's amazing? It's amazing how many people have come to know the Lord because simply there was a church that gathered. You know, one of the things that I, I enjoyed about pastoring over in Sydney was our, our church premises was on a main road. Probably had about, uh, they were saying about 100,000 cars went past there every, every week. It was a main, major road. There's always traffic, so, you know, you could really see the church. But the, oftentimes people would come and they would say, hey, you know, we, we noticed everyone there on Sunday. And what it was, our fellowship area was outside and it was just, we had a courtyard there between the two buildings that we had. And we had, like we're having now in our church, we had morning tea. And people would drive past and see that. And eventually over time, you know what happened? People got curious and went in. They heard the gospel, got saved, and now they're part of the church. You know what, what we're supposed to advertise? Is our, the change of life in us. And that's why the things that we do in church shouldn't be hidden. It should be like we've been learning about the inside out. We're meant to live it out. And so it, it's that. It defines our work for Christ. But it displays our changed life is what it is. You know, it used to be that we'd find other things to do, but now we, we give up and we take the time and we sacrifice. Why? Because now we're Christians. And who gathers? Christians gather. 
it displays our changed life. You know, it's amazing when you think about what happened here. There were those added to the church. There were those who had favor with uh, praising God and having favor with all the people. The, there was a visible gathering that these people had that just, just, just testified of their lives that were changed for the Lord. And I'm saying that our gathering makes a compelling case for a changed life. You know, in their pagan society, just the joy, the sacrifice, the fellowship, in that day, they weren't markers of the, the, the religions of that day. And I want to tell you, today, those, those things of joy, sacrifice, fellowship that we find inherent to church and our gathering, those aren't markers of a normal life. But what it is, it's a markers of a changed life. Changed by the power of Christ. And I want to say, don't underestimate our gathering. Don't, don't undervalue it. Years ago, we were undergoing a renovation. And we went through and we did our best. We were having special meetings with our good friend, Pastor Doug Fisher. He was coming all the way from San Diego to spend a week with us. And in the midst of, before that, we were busily trying to prepare the church. We wanted to renovate completely. What had happened was... There was a massive hailstorm and it had punctured a massive hole in the, in the ceiling and the roof of the church and everything got waterlogged, water damaged. And so happy days, God provided insurance. Great, we're going to renovate. So we, we took it upon ourselves to tear everything down inside the church. But what had happened was we just, we just ran out of time. Other things happened, other things became... And we knew we were having these, these meetings coming up and... It came to it that we just had the exterior done, no interior walls, and get this, no electricity. We couldn't put lights up. We, we ran out of time. So what we did was we made a special announcement, and we had enough electricity on the, on the ground. We said, it's bring a lamp night. And so what everyone did, everyone brought a lamp, and they put a lamp next to where they were going to sit. And we put all these extension cords all around the, the church, and, and Pastor Fisher, if, you, if those of you know, know him, he loved it. He, he preached in the dark. We had a little lamp for him at the lectern, and he preached to this congregation that just brought their lamps to church. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about let your light so shine before men. You know what you do when you come? In a, very, in a very spiritual way, when you come and you take your place in our gathering, you put a little light in that place. And here this morning, you've just simply not turned up. You've brought your light. And now we're a collective light that can shine brighter. And many times we, we forget that actually when we miss out and we don't prioritize like that like we should, that area is a little darker than it, it, it normally is. And so what I'm saying very simply this morning is that we ought to gather and we ought to take the time and, and do our best to, to be the light. You know, there's a world out there that's looking for something different. They're just lost in darkness. And what a feel for that. But you know what, what can get their attention? You know what actually evidences a changed life? is the fact that we're just faithful together when we should. And collectively, we're a greater light. 
for our community and beyond if we would just simply bring our lamps to church. Let's pray. Father, thank you, dear God, for your goodness and grace. And thank you, Lord, that we get together. Lord, there are many who, Lord, would love to gather like this all around the world who will wake up in a, in a couple of hours. Lord, our brethren in different places around the world who will have smaller gatherings in secret because the reality is their lives are in danger. And yet they'll do it, dear God. They'll do it. Why? Because there's a value there. Why? Because there's a, there's a, it's grounded upon just the reality of a changed life, that, that changed lives that have been unified for the cause of Christ. Help us, dear Lord, as a church to be a gathering church. Lord, there's going to be many opportunities that we get, uh, even today, even, even in the, the course of the year. But Lord, help us to make that a priority. Help us to value that like we should. And then, Lord, as a result, there'll be a, a, a changing in us. But, Lord, there'll be an opportunity to be a help and a blessing to many. And I pray that you'd help us this morning in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name.